0: As you watch this teaching, I would like to ask you to please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it. Welcome to Home Group. My name is Rick Renner, and I'm so glad you've joined us. This week, we're going to be talking about the love test. Wow, you're going to hear 1 Corinthians chapter 13 like you've never heard it before, and we're offering you the free download called The Love Test. What God's high level love looks like when it is released through you. This study guide is amazing. It's a gift and I want you to have it. Everybody likes gifts, well here's a gift. Please go online to get yours right now and remember that we're also offering you the accompanying series, Five Parts, which is from the regular TV program. This series is so rich and there is a book that goes with it as well, called The Love Test. Anyway, all of that is on the website this week. You can go online to order, or you can give us a call. And please remember that we're here to pray for you. We believe in prayer. We really desire to pray for you. And the moment you call us, or the moment your email shows up in our inbox, Denise and I and our whole team, we're going to release our faith with you For whatever it is that's on your heart and that you're facing, and we're going to believe for God to really move in your life, and he will. We have reams of testimonies from people who've called back in to say, wow, am I ever glad I called this ministry because when you guys prayed, something really happened in my life. Mm -hmm. And if you need somebody to pray with you, call us or send us your email. But I want to welcome Denise and Maxime and Joel, guys. Welcome to Home Group.
1: Thank you, Rick and Home Group. Welcome. This week's going to be very special. And I'm excited about learning more about love.
0: Amen. Maxime, I'm happy to be here. I want to grow in love because the Bible says that God is love. So the more we love, the more God like we become. So and I need more love. Amen. So thank you for this theme. I'm ready to learn. Well, get your Bibles and let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is famously called the love chapter. I call it the love test because it's a checklist to see how well you're doing at walking in love. And Denise, everybody loves this chapter. People read it in weddings, they read it almost like it is poetry especially the first verse where Paul says, though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not love, I'm become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. I've heard that in so many weddings over the years. People quote it without even understanding what Paul was really talking about. This verse is profound. And we're going to begin in this verse and dive into the Greek and really take it apart. But let's look at what Paul says. Are you ready? Ready. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not charity, that's King James, it means love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Okay, we have to ask the question, what is a sounding brass and what is a tinkling cymbal? Well, the word brass is from the Greek word kalkos. (laughs) The word kalkos describes metal bronze, or copper, to which a small amount of 10 has been added. The 10 caused the metal to have a hollow, empty sound when it was beaten. Mm. So this is an empty sound. But wait, it's a sounding brass. The word sounding is the Greek word echo. It's where you get the word echo, like an echo. But here it means a noise that reverberates or echoes and echoes and echoes, and it was the very word used to describe the nonstop, nonstop roaring of the sea. So when you put the two words together, sounding brass, it depicts, listen to this, the endless beating of metal that produces a hollow, annoying, irritating echo that seems to eternally just beat and echo and echo and reverberate. And it was particularly used, to describe the pagans in all ancient cities who beat metal instruments in order to attract the attention of spirits and gods. And it was irritating. It was annoying. It's like you could not escape the sound of this brass that was just beat and beat and beat. You've heard hollow sounds, 10 being beaten before. Well, just imagine if your city had a bunch of pagan temples And the pagans were working themselves up into a frenzy, carrying metal instruments, just clanging them and banging them and banging them and banging them and banging them. And And you think, would somebody please tell them to stop that? You just want to cover your ears. You want to get away from it. It's like if you've ever heard somebody play a radio too loud. It is so annoying. Can they please turn the radio down? And you just feel like you cannot escape the sound of this blaring radio. That's really what this depicts. And in every ancient city, including Corinth, and that's who Paul was writing to, there were these pagans who beat endlessly these brass instruments that had ten added to it. It was annoying. It was irritating. And it made people say... Would you please stop it? People nearly screamed. Get that thing away from here. Please turn that thing off. It's very annoying. Mm-hmm. Did you already learn something? Mm-hmm. Wait. Then it goes on and it says, or a tinkling symbol. Well, the word tinkling means to clash or to crash loudly, which means there was nothing tinkling. About it. (laughs) That is such a crazy translation. A tinkling symbol, you think of some little tiny thing, is something crashing, clashing loudly. And the word symbol is the Greek word kumbalon, which is the word for a symbol. But when you put these two words together, a tinkling symbol describes, listen to this, a constant loud clashing of symbols. And this, in fact, was the very term used to describe the clashing symbols that were played by the Jewish people just before they went to war. That's important Mm -hmm. because the clashing of those symbols was a call to arms. It sounded the signal that it was time to stand up and fight now. I'm going to carry all of that into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, and give you the RIV. And somebody might say, what is the RIV? I'm so glad you asked. The RIV is the Renner Interpretive Version. You say, well, what is the Renner Interpretive Version? Let me read you from my notes. The RIV is an interpretive and conceptual translation of the New Testament The draws on concepts in the Greek language and interprets them in a contemporary way to provide a broader comprehension of what is being communicated through the scripture. So it's not just word by word. It's a conceptual translation, grabbing all the concepts in the Greek words and pulling them into the translation to help us understand what's really being said in the verse. So now let me give you the RIV of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse one. Are you guys ready? We're ready. You're going to hear this with brand new ears. Here it is. It's really funny if you think about it because the King James says, though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm as a sound as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Well, here's the RIV pulling the full meaning into it. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. Even if I can first fluently in the languages of men and angels, but do not possess love, then it's nothing more than empty hollow sounds. People like this, who claim to be super spiritual but lack love, Sound a lot like the nonstop banging and clanging of pagan brass instruments in your city that you wish would stop. Those who go around pretending to be deeply spiritual but who are sorely deficient in love are so annoying (laughs) that when you feel trapped in a vicinity near them, you'll begin to look for any way to escape from being trapped with them. Even if they may say all the right things, their lack of love makes them so grating on your nerves, just like the clanging brass instruments that make you want to scream, stop it and stop it now. Let's be honest. These super spiritual motor mouths talk incessantly about how spiritual they are, but their absence of love makes it nothing more than a bunch of verbal hullabaloo. These hyped up spirit this hyped up spiritual talk of these folks who demonstrate zero love to match their words is so offensive and nauseating that it can nearly call your flesh to battle with them just to get them to shut up.
1: That's one verse.
0: That's one verse. It's a pretty good translation, conceptual translation. It's pulling all those meanings that I gave you
1: uh-huh.
0: into the verse. Now, of course, when you read about a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal, you don't see all of that. But when Paul's readers saw those words, Uh they already knew all those things because that was their world. They knew about the pagans who endlessly banged and banged and banged those annoying grating instruments. Mm -hmm. They knew about this clashing of cymbals which called you to stand up and wanna fight somebody. All of that is in that verse. And I think that is amazing. That's
1: amazing.
0: But hey, let's go on. Can
1: can I say something? Sure. I think that this is amazing that the Holy Spirit chose these words because... It's the very opposite. The clanging symbol was calling <laughs> calling them into war. To war. <laughs> and love is is preferring one another, hardly recognizing somebody doing you wrong. I mean, it's all the opposite of war.
0: Well, let's talk about the word love because this word love shows up over and over and over. The word love is the Greek word agape. We all know that word. But agape is one of the hardest words to translate in the New Testament. There are two words really tough to translate. One is the word agape, the other is the word charis, which is the Greek word for grace. I mean, you have to really figure out how to translate these words. The word agape is massive. It depicts a divine love, listen to this, a divine love that gives and gives and gives even if... It's never responded to, thanked, or acknowledged, which means there's no strings attached. This love occurs when an individual sees, recognizes, understands, or appreciates the value of an object or a person and causes the viewer to behold the object or the person in great esteem. Wow. This person has a love so profound that it knows no limits or boundaries, and how far, wide, high, and deep it will go to show that love to its recipient. It is a self-sacrificial love that moves the lover to action, and it does not depend on the recipient's response. A perfect example of this would be John 3:16: for God so loved the world that he Gave. gave his only begotten son. That's the Greek word agape, the word love, which means when God looked on the world, even though the world had been marred by sin, even though the world was in the web of Satan's deception, when God looked at the world, he saw human beings. He saw what he created. It aroused such awe, such admiration in the heart of God that it moved God to do something for the world. It moved him to action, even though he he knew the world would not immediately respond. That's why John 1 11 says, He came unto his own, but his own received him not. He knew they weren't going to receive him, but that did not affect his desire to love because God is love. He is agape love. He is high-level love. He loves with no strings attached. We're talking about a love that cannot be offended, a love that cannot be put off. It is what I call high-level love. And this is the kind of love that we are called to walk in. But wait. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, Paul then begins to describe what I call the love test. He describes how this agape, high-level love behaves and how it doesn't behave. And I say it's a checklist that you can look at to see how well you're doing at walking in agape love. And the first thing he says is it suffers long. Wow. The Greek word makrothumia <laughs> from the word makros, which depicts something that is long. It's where you get the word for macaroni. Macaroni is something long. This word makros describes something very, very long. The word thumas is actually the Greek word for passion, swelling passions, great emotion. But when you compound the two words together, makros and thumia, it forms the Greek word makrothumia, which pictures forbearance and patience that doesn't easily give up or bow out. I say that macrothumia, here translated suffereth long, is like a candle that has a very, 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 very long wick. It will burn a long, 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 long time. It doesn't easily give up or bow out. And in fact, the RIV of 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4, this part of it would be, Love patiently and passionately bears with others for as long as patience is needed and does not easily give up or bow out. Now, this is the opposite of flesh, which says, I am sick and tired of this. I've given all that I'm going to give to this. I'm not going to give any more to this. That's not the behavior of the love of God. And Denise, let's talk about it. Look at God's love for us. Look at the times that we've not done right or we could have done better. And God doesn't say, I'm just done with the renters. I'm done with Maxime. But agape love is macrothumia. It just bears in there, never gives up, never bows out. And that's the kind of love that we're supposed to have in our lives. So I want to ask you, how are you doing at point number one in the love test? You easily walk out on people you easily give up on people or does that agape love working in your life, make you so committed that you've determined you're never going to bow out and you're never going to give up. That's the way high level love works.
1: You know, one scripture that just really touches me about the love of God is first Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. And, and it's uh, where we get our communion verses and, um, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And Rick, when I see that, and you know I see it often, I think he was laying down his life. Being betrayed didn't stop him from laying down his life. He knew that Judas was betraying him, but there he, he made the covenant
0: Mm-hmm. And, and even when he knew he was being betrayed,
1: uh, that love, that love is so high. It's really high.
0: Lord, we ask you to help us walk in high level love. We ask you to forgive us for accommodating our flesh and giving ourselves excuses to walk out on people in relationships. And we ask you to help us to come up to your level. You tell us to so we know that we can. Mm. Amen. Amen. Well,
1: and then in Romans chapter 5, verse 5.
0: Okay, that's where we're going to go next. Let me read it. Oh. <laughs> Romans 5, 5, because I can just hear somebody saying, well, I just don't have that kind of love. I just can't do that. Yes, you can. Listen to what Romans 5, 5 says. And hope maketh not a shame because the love of God, that word love is this word agape. We're talking about this high, high level love. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So if the Holy Ghost is in you, and he is, then this high level love is inside you. It is in you. You just need to tap into it. In fact, when the Bible says it is shed abroad, the Greek word depicts a pouring forth, a spilling out, something that is dispersed in abundance. It is liberally and lavishly poured out, which means you don't have just a little touch of this love. You are filled with it. Now, you may have never tapped into it, but my friends, you are loaded with the divine love of God, this high level love. And if you'll open your heart and allow it to flow out of you, You'll find it flow out of you like a river and you will not easily give up or bow out on people that you think have failed you. Isn't that powerful?
1: Oh, I love it. Rick, can you say it one more time about how it's lavishly poured out?
0: It means a pouring forth, a spilling out, Something dispersed in abundance to be liberally and lavishly poured out, shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Holy Ghost. Ghost. You should just embrace yourself and say, Mm. oh, all of that is inside me. It means you have a reservoir of this divine love in you. But let's go on to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, to see what next is on the checklist. Because he goes on to say, love suffereth long and is what? kind." Kind. What does that word kind mean? The word kind, okay, you guys ready? Mm-hmm. Portrays helpfulness, warm heartedness, all willingness to show goodness from the heart to others. A trait so admirable in the ancient world that it was viewed as a characteristic of everyone that everyone should seek to possess. It pictures one who is attentive to the needs of others, one who is beneficial and helpful to others, one who's considerate of others and their needs and demonstrates this kindness in some way. Listen to this. It depicts those that are compassionate, considerate, sympathetic, humane, kind, and gentle. And when applied to interhuman relationships, it conveys the idea of being adaptable to others, to be adaptable or compliant to the needs of others. Well, the RIV is a conceptual translation. So let's put all of those concepts into this verse. And the RIV, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4, this particular part of the verse should be translated. Here it is. Love doesn't demand others to be like itself. Well, that's already revolutionary. Rather, it is so focused on the needs of others, that it bends over backwards to become what others need it to be. Now, I have to say something. I once published on social media my translation, the RIV of these verses, and people really got offended over this. They said, what do you mean it bends over backwards to become what others need it to be? This sounds like an abusive relationship if you're just bending over backwards to be what others need you to be. Well, my friends, it is a self-sacrificial love. There's nothing abusive about this. It's a decision that I'm going to love. For example, maybe I need to be what Denise needs me to be. Maybe I need to be adaptable to meet the need of my wife. I need to bend over backwards to bless my wife. After all she's done for me, that's the least that I can do. And high-level love would not cause me to sit around thinking about what she can do for me. It should make me think about what I can do for her and what she can do for me or what we can do for each other. And love doesn't demand others to be like itself. The flesh does, but not high-level love. Agape love does not demand others to be like itself. Rather, it is so focused on the needs of others that it bends over backwards to become what others need it. To be, you know, sometimes Denise and I, through the years, we've had conversations about things that are bothering us. And we have said to each other, we need to get our minds off of ourselves. You know what? We're just sitting here. We just need to get our minds off of ourselves. We need to get our mind on somebody else. High level love doesn't sit around thinking about itself. It's focused on others. And I say to Denise all the time, honey, this is not about us. And it's not. This home group is not about us. TV program, the ministry, the books, none of it's about us. It's all about others. That is the attention and the focus of God. It's directed on others. God so loved the world. And God didn't just sit in heaven and say, wow, I love the world so much and do nothing. But agape love moves. Mm -hmm. It is a self-sacrificial love. And God had no guarantee the world would respond, but that didn't stop God from loving. And sometimes people say, well, but what if I focus on the needs of others? What if I bend over backward to meet the needs of others and they don't respond to me? Well, what did you lose? You didn't lose anything. You just sowed a seed of love in somebody else's life. And if we really believe in sowing and reaping one of these days, at some other moment, you're going to get a harvest on what you sowed. Nothing is ever lost when you're walking in high-level love. What could you lose? You don't lose anything. You're going to get a harvest on that. And the RIV again is, love doesn't demand others to be like itself. Rather, it is so focused on the needs of others, it just convicts me right now, that it bends over backwards to become what others need it to be. Isn't that amazing, Denise? It's
1: so powerful. And it's so instructive. You know, we can't say, well, I don't know what to do. No, there's, there, there's our instruction right there. Bend over backwards for somebody else. Hmm. But, you know, it's our flesh that is selfish. And we want to think about ourselves. But it's our spirit. Like Rick was saying, that it's, we're lavished with this love of God on the inside of us by the Holy Spirit spirit so he he went to this great price to put the love of god inside of us that we could be an expression of his love to other people
0: but denise you can see why i've kind of renamed this chapter the love test oh yeah i mean it really is a checklist to see where you need to do better at walking in love or where you are doing good if you're doing good say amen amen But probably you're going to find you need to come up a little bit. But I want you to get the download. It's free. The Love Test, the accompanying series, five parts called The Love Test and The Little Book. Now, this book may look little. This is really an awesome little book, and you can read it in one setting. It'll make a difference in your life. But tomorrow night, as Joel told you earlier, we're dedicating the entire evening to the subject of prayer. And tomorrow we're going to see what the Bible says about prayer. Mm And we're going to be praying for your needs. So we want you to be sure to write to us. Tell us about your needs. We will concretely pray for you. You can send us an email or you can even give us a call or write on social media. Tell us how to pray for you. And we will really pray for you. But remember Psalm 4 verse 8. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. And the Lord will sustain me. Sleep well tonight and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. If that teaching helped you, would you please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it.